0: Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others better than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, dear friends.
1: Before I pray, two quick things. Number one, in 1995, Phil and Mary Christopher moved to Abilene. Phil became pastor of First Baptist. Little did I know at the time that he would become my partner in the gospel and that we would become such deep friends. Two weeks from now is his final Sunday at First Baptist, so I'd like to, as I pray, remember Phil and Mary and uh, give thanks for our brothers and sisters at First Baptist. Second, in light of the weekend, I wanted some of you who remember to know I remember. That Tuesday morning, oh, <coughs> we were all gathered in Steve Hare's office because he had the only black and white TV. And uh, we were watching and someone from ladies Bible class came down to get me, to ask me to come pray. And I've thought about that a lot through the years because I've, I wasn't the most spiritual person in the room, but I was the pastor And I've reflected on that. I kind of came from the lowest of the low church tradition, you know, and hadn't reflected a lot on the meaning of that. But some of you were there, and I remember that sacred time with you as we prayed together. And then I went back to my office and threw my sermon for Sunday in the trash and started again out of Isaiah 43, of a God who walks through the fire and the flood with us. Well, let's pray together. Oh, God, we give you thanks this morning for the work of Christ in this community. Today, especially, we're thankful for Phil and Mary Christopher and their leadership in the gospel for over a quarter of a century. We pray for our dear friends, our brothers and sisters at First Baptist, that you will guide their future as you have their past. And today, O God, as we've come through a weekend of 20-year-old memories, we pray that you will bless America, and Croatia, and Afghanistan, and Brazil, and every other nation of the world. For all are made in your image, and all have been invited by the gospel to the great reconciliation in Christ. And now, O God, with these words of our brother Paul ringing in our ears, I pray that you will pour through me the gift of preaching, that these old ancient words will speak a fresh word through your spirit to us today. In the name of Christ, we pray and we all say, Amen. My buddy Russell is a pastor slash cop. Like a lot of others who are ministers for small churches, through the last 18 months, churches have tended to get smaller, and the smaller it got and the less able to fully support him, the more he stepped into his other role. And recently, Russell was assigned to an emergency room. And out of nowhere came a drunk, young, strong Marine. And it was up to Russell Russell to do something about it. Russell's a pretty stout man himself, but as he pointed out, this guy was stout too, but he was young and a Marine, and he was creating havoc. So Russell tried as a pastor, speaking to the man's sensibilities and out of kindness. That didn't work. So he stepped into his role as a cop. And that didn't work either. He continued to evoke havoc in the emergency room. In the old words of Ron White, he had the right to remain silent. He did not have the ability to remain silent. (laughs) Thankfully, Russell had the insight to call a friend. He called for reinforcements, having no idea that the guy that would show up was not only a fellow policeman, but was a former Marine. And Russell talks in wonder about what took place as this drunk, young, strong Marine suddenly realizes that he's in the presence of a fellow Marine. And Russell said there was some kind of Semper Fi magic that went on that he didn't fully understand. And he realized Semper Fi is not just an abbreviation for Semper Fidelis, always faithful. It's an abbreviation for much more for a whole culture Language, values, behavior, stories. And nothing could sober up that young man and bring him to responsibility like being in the presence of somebody else who shared that worldview. As we hear Paul's text in Philippians one twenty seven today, we hear Paul telling us we have a world like that. In baptism, we were brought into a new world. We have a citizenship, of value, a value, a mindset that's new in Christ. In fact, later in this series, when we get to chapter 3 and verse 20, we'll hear Paul say that your citizenship is where? It's in heaven. We live by a new world, a new guideline, a new mindset. And actually, that same word is in our text this morning, the verb form of it. In chapter 127, when he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's the same Greek word of living as a citizen. Conducting yourselves in a community in a certain way. It's Paul's first command to come in Philippians. And it's a command to step into a culture that has to do with all of life. So he's speaking to them. This is your identity. This is your citizenship. Dear friends, your citizenship is not primarily your country. It's not primarily your political party. Your primary identity is you've been baptized into the family of God and you were part of that body. I remember saying many years ago here that I have more in common with a rural African who meets under a tree with his church to worship Jesus than I do with my next door neighbor who's not a believer. Afterwards, a child from the church came up and said, "Dicky's not a Christian? Okay, he understood that Dickie Porch was my neighbor and didn't quite get hypothetical situations. But still true. Our primary community is the one we're baptized into. And we hold rather loosely these allegiances to country and language and political affiliations. Because over all of that is this overarching story that baptism has ushered us into, the world of God in Jesus Christ. Paul mentions in the paragraph that the citizenship tends to come with opponents. He said to them, I can tell you're struggling and yet standing firm. There are going to be some opponents. For them, it might be social reasons, economic reasons, families perhaps divided. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. He'd gone to Philippi, then to Thessalonica, and then shortly after that wrote 1 Thessalonians before Philippians was ever written. And so apparently something significant was seared in their memories. Something outrageous had happened. We know some of the story from Acts, but likely we don't know all the stories. And it may be that some around us suffer like that at times today. Though I have to point out, in a country where many, most still identify as Christians, sometimes you suffer because you're a Christian, and sometimes just because you're an obstinate jerk. And you have to be careful that you don't confuse the two. But presumably, a radical following of Jesus and entering into the new citizenship is going to receive some pushback. Now, here's part of the brilliance of Paul. Verse 29, look at this. Look at how he redefines the suffering. He says, it's been granted to you. It's been graced to you. It's, it's just the verb form of the word grace. It's been given to you as a grace by God to suffer for the cause of Christ. So you don't just get to believe in him, you get to suffer for him. A consistent theme for Paul, that in some ways we bear the sufferings of Christ as we live out this life. And as it has a way of seeking into our hearts, has a way of peeling away all of the things that don't matter, and has a way of creating an intense longing for God's future. Paul sees that as a blessing. So it's essential that with that kind of opposition, that we make sure we don't break ranks. If, if, if you're an army in the Lord, you can't have people breaking ranks. You, we don't need friendly fire. So in the same first paragraph, he's commenting on that, that you are standing as one. You are struggling together. We're gonna to have to go through this with the pressure on the outside. We wanna make sure that we don't have another pressure on the inside of division. We are striving together as one. We're standing firm in the Spirit. Again, later in the series in chapter four, we'll find out that he names two people in the church who are his co workers and find out that there is a kind of headbutting going on. And perhaps it's that division he's alluding to, or maybe the house church has rippling effects from it. But Paul wants unity. And that leads us into the transition, chapter 2 and verse 1, and he says, therefore, now it's not in every Bible, but it should be, it's there when Paul wrote it, therefore points to the paragraph above. In other words, you want to know what it means to live your lives worthy of the gospel? okay, here it is. Five things. If you have any encouragement in Christ, if you have any comfort from His love, if you have any koinonia of the Spirit, if you have any tenderness, if you have any compassion, that, that's how it begins with these five, these five ifs. And you've got to figure the little house church is doing what we would do this morning is to say, well, of course we do. What would it mean to be a Christian if we'd never experienced encouragement in Christ or comfort from His love or fellowship with the Spirit or tenderness and compassion? So. Their response is kind of like ours. Well, Paul, of course we have. He says, okay, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. One love, one spirit, one mind. Now, my memory of growing up is that that kind of, in some settings, got dumbed down to uniformity. That when Paul says, have the same mind, he means we're going to agree on everything. We need uniformity. But listen, Paul had something much grander than uniformity in mind. He's calling for unity. Uniformity has the idea of cookie cutter and you've got to follow me and we have to agree on everything. But unity is much larger and grander and gospel shaped. My own memory of upbringing was we had one bucket we called doctrine and another bucket we called matters of opinion. Now the flaw in that was figuring out who got to decide what went in what bucket. It turns out a lot of things were matters of opinion about matters of doctrine. And I've always called it the hugo McCord crisis in my home church. He was out of Oklahoma Christian, wonderful man, Old Testament professor, who came almost every year to hold a gospel meeting. We trusted him. We thought that he lined up correctly in all the matters of doctrine. And one year he came and taught the men's Bible class and revealed that he was a pacifist. Well, that's part of our heritage, of course, but we didn't have anybody like that in our church, and we thought he was lined up with us, and so was the scrambling to try to decide whether to let him finish the gospel meeting. Was that a, did that go in the bucket of doctrine or the bucket of opinion? But there's no end to that game. Dear friends, we will not agree on everything. Decisions come down that do not have everybody voting yes. It's just the nature of the animal. We're not going to get uniformity, but unity. Now, what a beautiful thing that is to reach higher and realize that there's something beyond agreeing on everything, and that is that we have the same mind, which he's going to define in just a moment we'll get to. And so then, into verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Could there be a more countercultural text today than this? If somebody said, Hey, come up with a verse that's kind of a parody of the last 18 months, wouldn't that be a pretty good one? In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We are surrounded by a focus on personal rights and individual liberties, like good Westerners tend to do. And then all of it gets ramped up in social media, which probably rightly ought to be called anti-social media, because it develops a way of thinking that's zero-sum. If you gain, I lose. If I gain, you lose. There's no way to walk together and grow together, progress together. And and it takes ideas that we disagree about and moves it into people that we find obnoxious. And it moves from disagreement to contempt. It's one thing to disagree strongly with somebody. It's another then to hold them in contempt because they don't really believe in whatever. Maybe the key is the part it's easy to slip over here, and that is in humility. Now, you may be aware, that does not come as a default mode for a human being. Pride is the default mode, I think. But in baptism, we're brought into a new story where we are called on to be humble. Not self-deprecating, but humble. If I have some advantages, if I have power, if I have resources, it means I'm using them for the sake of others, the interests of others. But beyond that, i learned that I am not the gold standard for measuring everything. I don't have it all right. I have not fully achieved. It's not your goal to line up with me. You've maybe heard of the illusory superiority effect, sometimes called the Dunning-Kruger effect. I like the name best, the Lake Wobegon effect. Some of you remember listening to Garrison Keillor and his imaginary town in Minnesota where all the women are strong, All the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. That's mathematically impossible. They can't all be above average, but that's what that effect is. No matter what you measure, we tend to think we're above average so much that it almost doesn't matter what it is. 80% think they're above average. Financial planning, well, I'm above average. You can't all be above average. Average is a thing. Even driving, you've seen those statistics. 80% of people think they are above average drivers. Let me bring this home. 80% of people in Abilene, Texas, think they are above average drivers. The other 20% are on Judge Ely, (laughs) where, in the infamous words of Captain Hector Barbosa, a red light is more of a guideline than a rule. And Paul says, no, it's humility. In humility, we're going to realize that we are not the standard. So we will look out for the interests of others. And then everybody winds up doing that, and you have the awkward situation that everybody in the body of Christ is watching out for other people. All right, something on the side. I want to speak about Paul's brilliance in Philippians. It's in all of his letters, but it's so clear here. What Paul wants, top shelf, is for people to live into this new world that baptism calls for. Conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel. But he knows you can't just say that. Beneath that, there is another level, and it's the level of mindset. And so all the way through Philippians, he keeps using the Greek word for mind. Have this mind, change your mind, be of one mind. And especially chapter 2 and verse 5, next week's text, have the mind of Christ. And what he's calling for is a Copernican revolution in the church. I'm guessing if we'd been there in the 16th century, we'd have had a hard time with Copernicus too. The church had a hard time with him because the Bible clearly says the sun rises, the sun sets, the sun stood still, the sun moves, we stay still. But more than that, just practical experience tells me I'm not moving. Copernicus says, oh, you're all moving, and I'm like, I I'm not moving. Well, now that sounds silly. We, we know how the world works. We know that we a heliocentric view of the world moving around the sun is reality, science tells us. Here in Abilene, at our latitude, we're moving about 900 miles an hour as we rotate around the center of the earth. But not only that, just because we're on planet earth, we're moving 66,000 miles per hour as the earth trots around the sun. And beyond that, the sun and its planets are moving over 300,000 miles per hour to get around the galaxy, and who knows how fast the galaxy's going. I don't feel like I'm going a million miles an hour. When I throw a ball up in the air, it doesn't go. Atmosphere, gravity. So I might just argue, no, 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 I'm not moving. When in fact there was a revolution that says, but we are. The Copernican revolution of faith is it's not all about us. I don't sit at the center of the story. What sits at the center of the story is the gospel of Christ and the people around me. I've entered into a way where service and selflessness is all that fits. Okay, so we've got the behavior he wants, we've got the mindset that's needed, but there's another level. And that is that there are stories. We're a narrative people, we've got to have stories so we can see what this looks like. In chapter three, or later in chapter two, we'll get to Epaphroditus and to Timothy, people who don't look out for their own interests but the interests of others. But already we've got Paul as an example. In chapter one, it's hard to tell in your Bibles, but if you've got it, look at it, that long paragraph from 12 to 26 opens and closes with the same Greek word, a word that means advance. The advance of the gospel at the beginning, and then verse 25, the advance of other people, of other believers, and that's what Paul is living for. And he says, I rejoice because the gospel is advancing, even though it's costing Paul. And then the last half, beginning in the middle of verse 18, he says, And I will rejoice because of the advance of you. I'd like to die and go be with Jesus, but it's probably better for you that I keep living. And so I think I'll keep living and I'll be joyful about it. So Paul himself is a model of what this looks like. But finally, we've got the behavior, we've got the mindset, we've got the narratives, the stories just by way of anticipation for next week paul's real brilliance is that beneath all of those stories there is a master story on which everything hangs at the end of second corinthians paul says don't let anybody preach another jesus because you've got to get that story right there are a lot of jesus is being preached today by the way a lot of memes out there a lot of gifts about jesus but but the Bible's got a story, and that's Paul's claim. And it's upon those stories that all other stories are built, and that's where the mindset of Christ is gonna come, and that's how we will walk worthy of our calling, and we'll dive into that text next week. Let's stand and sing together. Each week, Shane's been leaving us with a question. The one I have, let's start in Philippians 3:17 and hear Paul say, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. I didn't know what was coming at first service. I was trashed after Liz's communion thoughts. She was here in person, and as she ripped off those names, that was tough. These are the models. And you've got other models, you've got some from your background. And so our question today to go out on is this one. Who are the people who have modeled for you a selfless life of service in Christ? Those are the ones who are going to show you the way. Look to the wise people, the kind people, the people serving. Trust them and follow the way of Christ. Amen, go in peace, dear friends.